Welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast for the TheMediaByUs.com. Joining me today is Chris. Today. A TJ. Hello. And I got myself a Brent. Always. <laughs> and we're having a very special <laughs> podcast today. Uh, a very special podcast. We're talking about our year-end lists. So I think the format we're going to go through is we're going to count down from 10 to 1. Uh, everyone's going to say their 10s, and we're going to hold the suspense for our number one movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's kick it off with number 10. I'll start. My number 10, uh, it's kind of gone on and off the list, but it's uh, Wonder Woman. Mm. I really think that movie is, uh, I really appreciate it as not just a superhero movie, but I also think it's a good movie. And a lot of the things I remember are not superhero battles, but human scenes. Mm-hmm. And still one of my favorite scenes of the year is the charging the uh, charging from the trench. Yeah. I think so it's the stand-up. It's it's uh you know it's kind of a symbolic scene probably people are gonna get shot but it's definitely it was a powerful scene for me that having uh, having just watched Justice League and then also having uh, memories of our talk of fame discussion about Matrix and if we have to consider its sequels and the movies that follow <laughs> it's just like it's so unfortunate what is going to happen to the character of Wonder Woman after how good that movie is. Yeah. I know I wasn't the biggest fan of it, but it is totally understandable for it to be in a big, in a top, t- a big ten, <laughs> in the top ten. Yeah, I wouldn't argue. I guess I, I wasn't as big of a fan as a lot of people, but I thought she stands out as a really good performance in the movie too, Gal Gadot. Mm-hmm. And then you don't get that from a lot of lead characters. I feel like in in superhero movies. Yeah, I mean they are they are the caricature that is the comic book character in every instance, except for. I think Wonder Woman. I think that that Gal Gadot really makes that character. She had real heart in that role, uh-huh. and I really enjoyed it. I'm still big fans of uh, pretty much the movie from the cave scene with her and Chris Pine mm-hmm. through the end of the boat ride. Mm-hmm. It was all really good. Mm-hmm. Kind of what David was talking about the human elements. I thought their uh, chemistry was something Brent brought up early on when he was the only one who had seen it. it was really good. I also mm-hmm. love the 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 beginning of the movie mm-hmm. on the island with the Amazonian like Greek society. Just the the fierceness and the uh, you know the boldness of the female leadership. I thought it was really good. Yeah, it's really imaginative. I like the the idea too of like the gods gave them a secret weapon to to battle the god of war uh, mm-hmm. in the end, and that's uh, like all these superhero movies. So many of them have things like that, but that one I like better than like Justice Leagues, which is just here's this. Here's this ancient bad guy who buried three boxes somewhere on Earth, and, yeah. He, yeah. and if he gets the bat, if he gets the boxes, he can destroy the Earth. Yeah. So why were they buried in the first place? But anyway, yeah. why did they just punt them into fucking space? <laughs> it's like, weird. You've got Superman. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, good choice. It, it, was, it was in my running. Uh, my number ten is um, I Tanya. Nice. It's a really good movie. Really powerful performances. I know Brent. Did an article for the website recently. I agree with a lot of it. Disagree a little bit, especially on the soundtrack stuff. I mm. think that was kind of a character in the movie for me. I enjoyed the soundtracks a lot, mm-hmm. or the soundtrack a lot. Yeah, and in case you haven't read, my, my what I said about the soundtrack was that I just I found it distracting at times because it changes tunes so quickly, and there's so many. There's just a very there's like a, a lot of soundtrack packed into it two hours. Characters a little for me. Little I, I definitely think the song but, choices were. On par with the characters, even like the the fast skipping. But anyway, aside from that, mm-hmm. um, I was also glad to see uh, the director Craig Gillespie do something else because he's done a lot of stinkers recently. But uh, Lars and the Real Girl was one of his mm-hmm. first. Yeah, I love that movie. It's a great movie. 
Um, I thought Margot Robbie was amazing. Margot Robbie's incredible. Also, Jane is really good. I, I, and I think some Sebastian Stan was said that Sebastian Stan's yes. not getting enough praise. I think he he's did not. incredible. He makes Jeff Galuli. Jeff fucking Galuli seem human. Yeah. And that is just... When he needs to. It's impressive. A, the yeah. movie has definitely multiple tones, which is hard to pull off, and they do it well. Like, yeah. Hmm. It makes you sympathize with very unsympathetic characters. Yeah. yeah. When I joked earlier about like how I send myself messages in Slack that I Tanya made me feel weird about abuse... Like, it's everyone in that movie is a piece of shit. Yeah, and it makes you cheer for them. It's so, dumb. Yeah, yeah, the, they're all dumb. Yeah, it's yeah when they do Bobby Cannavale from the uh, hard copy, agency, hard copy. Yeah. yeah, when he's like, "This is a heist. Pull, this is a a crime pulled off by two of the biggest boobs yeah. in a situation that is entirely <laughs> boobs." Yeah, <laughs> that's, like, that's yeah. perfect. Even the two guys that actually pull off the heist are just like you can tell they're nimwits. Yeah. He moves his car around yeah. to different parking spots, all in the same camera shot. Which is yeah. real. I, well, I actually watched a documentary this morning on the whole thing, but yeah, they have him on camera in the parking lot outside of Nancy Kerrigan's training facility, and so he doesn't look suspicious. He moves his car every ten minutes to a different parking spot, but it's <laughs> a mostly just, empty. It's, they show lot. him on like speed in the ca- like in real life, like a like a time lapse camera. And he's just like burr, 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 burr. <laughs> like super. <laughs> yeah. It's a really funny movie. Yeah, the character Sean just fucking slayed with Kelly and I. Me too. The we just like laughed like hysterically when he's like being interviewed. He's like, well, actually, I'm an expert in. Counterterrorism, and it just like considers himself this like espionage expert. Yeah, what a weirdo. Yeah. So uh, yeah, my number ten is Itania. My number ten movie of the year is uh, Star Wars: The Last Jedi. I wanted to have it on the list, oh. and I thought ten was about right for it. Yeah. Um, I don't know ultimately how it's going to rank in my Star Wars movies, but I know it really went for it. And after The Force Awakens, you know, doing what it did, and I thought The Force Awakens was great, and I still I think I like The Force Awakens better. But after The Force Awakens, I think we needed a Star Wars movie that would just try some bold risks. And I think this definitely did that. Mm -hmm. It is less like a Star Wars movie than almost any other Star Wars movie. And I thought Luke was... I thought Mark Hamill was fantastic as Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. I thought Adam Driver was amazing as Kylo Ren. I really loved the scenes with Kylo Ren and Rey. Uh, the, The... The... throne room scene Snoke's throne room scene I think will down the road be one of my favorite Star Wars scenes in any movie even people who hate it they're going to look back on it like the Darth Maul fight yeah and I think there are moments of of the there's a a particular scene that is indeed corny but I think that's uh I don't know. They've always been corny to me. So, yeah. Yeah, they're cheesy space operas. It's, yeah, really and, and, and a lot of the complaints I see from people, even, like, not just, like, people who are there just to, on, on review sites to dump on it, but, like, people I interact with on Facebook are complaining about physics and space not being right. And I, I just want to say, it's a movie about space wizards. Yeah, TIE fighters it's, scream in space. Like, <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> now you're going to complain? Yeah. I was talking to Brent the other day, somebody on... Social media was talking about how, uh, like, using light speed as a weapon to, like, blow up something. Like, that's totally, like, unrealistic. Why wouldn't they do that early? They could have saved so many lives. And I was like, I don't know. The same reason we don't, like, ram aircraft carriers into coastal cities. It's just not efficient. <laughs> it's, not the, it's not the best way to do things. And because you don't know what you're talking about because we don't have light speed travel. <laughs> Nobody knows what they're talking about. So if they choose to make it so they can weaponize it, they're fucking like them. But I think the thing I liked most about The Last Jedi is what it means for specifically the title of the last movie, The Force Awakens. And I think in the movie it establishes that you don't, you no longer, the Force 
no longer belongs to specific families, and it no longer belongs to just the elite in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. It belongs to everyone, and it, if the Force awakens in The Force Awakens, here is where we really start seeing the effect of it awakening, so to speak, and I thought that was a really cool uh, development. Uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed the movie. I like that. I haven't thought about that. The, the take take religion and give it back to the masses. Good. I could I could go on, but I won't. I like both picks so far. I don't like that. I want to argue with somebody. Chris, what you got? <laughs> well, <laughs> so I I picked I naked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do this again, but I want to do this now. I picked my ten favorite movies and the ten movies I enjoyed the most. Go for not it, necessarily yeah. the ten best. That's my ten. That's right. Cool. I did my favorite. My number ten movie this year is Lego Batman. Fun. Yeah, it I almost a, made my list. It is a movie that I was entirely surprised by. You know. The in, in this is just bullshit preface. Um, you know, expectation shouldn't play into how good or enjoyable a movie it is, but it does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Batman character from the Lego movie was my least favorite. Um, I thought that, that he was just kind of like slapdash thrown in there for for a little bit of like like fake gravitas. And in the Lego in the Lego movie, all of his jokes are the most obvious jokes. Yeah, I mean they're they're taking they're, they're taking obvious shots at Chris Nolan's Batman movies, mm-hmm. um, and some of them work, some of them don't. Uh, with this, they just they made the the Batman character his own uh, beast, and I really loved it. Um, I thought that his interactions with the Joker were surprisingly touching. Yeah. Um, in a way that it was just it was it was just <laughs> just some some great writing, some great laughs, um, a lot of fun. Made me watch the Lego Ninjago movie. Like I'm I'm on board with what the the Lego blank wants to do mm-hmm. uh, for movies in a way that I wasn't expecting. They continue the tone from the first one. Ferdinand did a really good job of that. Yeah, for sure. And they don't they don't use the same elements that made Lego Movie like really uh, surprising with the blend between animation and reality and the way that that is the MacGuffin. They hinted at it at they, times. They hinted. At I was it. glad I didn't get a payoff for that. Yeah. yeah. The main joke of uh, you know the Lego Movie is isn't it isn't this version of this real thing as a Lego funny, mm-hmm. you know, for a lot of it, like, uh, you know, doing a shower and stuff. And it's just like you yeah. think pelted with water things. Yeah. I like how they transition that, uh, that's not the main joke of Lego Batman movie. Like, yeah. It could have been folly to, you know, the master builder, uh, elements and the going between Lego, you know, like toy sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it didn't, it was entirely within Batman and it did hinted at some of the master builder stuff in a subtle enough way that makes me think that that's like an important through line for the rest of their series. Mm-hmm. Um, they do hint at it again in Ninjago, in case people are curious. Um, but I, I thought it was incredibly fun and thoroughly enjoyable. It's one of the funniest movies I've seen the entire year too. Yeah, it's it's got funny. me and Allison both just to gut laugh at a bunch of stuff. Yeah, and nice. I, yeah, that's my number ten. All right, on to the number nines. Mm-hmm. My number nine, I bet, appears on multiple top ten lists here in the group. Uh, my number nine is The Big Sick the movie. I was super excited for from. You know, this time a year ago mm-hmm. when I knew it was coming out, and uh, it delivered. It was fantastic. Really fun movie, and sweet, and yeah. heartfelt, which is not surprising coming from, I mean, a that, real place. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, that story mm-hmm. in particular. Um, I was I was really impressed with how deep the movie was with its, like, even when it gets away from their main relationship, it's just so funny in so many places. Like, Kumail's family scenes are really funny. Yeah, and yeah. You know, scenes with Ray Romano and Holly Hunter are at times very funny, and then uh, even Kumail at the comedy club. Yeah, is is just those those scenes are great. All of that could have been like landmines for you mm-hmm. know a more concise story would be like hero. You, 
Yeah, you, you cut it to 90 minutes and you cut out some of the side plots. Some mm-hmm. of the side plots were some of the best stuff in the movie. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so him it was and, most uh, rewarding. Him and his comedian buddies were hilarious like mm-hmm. backstage at the comedy club. Yeah. Um, and all the, the stuff with the families, I think, that's, especially with Kamel's family, could have so easily been like eye rolly and like, you know, oh, they're making jokes about Pakistanis. And mm-hmm. it just never got there. It was good. I love the relationship between him and his brother in the movie. Yeah. I really like that. And that's another one that could have easily been just bad. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff based on true stories that just because it's a true story doesn't make you feel anything about it. But everything in the movie felt really genuine mm-hmm. to me, and that's that's a uh, I think that there's a skill to that picking at the moments that feel really specific that can make them universal. Yeah, uh, my number nine movie of the year was uh, a movie that. I knew nothing about when I went to see it, and even after I got out of the theater, I thought, I might hate this and down the road. I don't even know how I feel about this, but I wound up just, I don't know. I really liked it. It's uh, Wonderstruck, the Todd Haynes movie hmm. from this year cool. about the two little kids who go to New York and like 50 years apart. Um, I really like the storytelling. It's got some of the most unique storytelling of the year. Half the movie is a silent film set in the 20s, mm-hmm. and half the movie is just a... A you know a kid in the seventies trying to make his way around New York, trying to look for answers about his dad, figure out who his dad is. I think it's might be the best maybe family movie of the year, like a movie that I would look forward to showing kids one day if, if I ever have any. Kind of yeah, of. and it's by the same uh, the guy who wrote Hugo wrote Wonderstruck, yeah. mm-hmm. so that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's a very I don't know a very sweet movie that I just thoroughly enjoyed. Sweet, Chris. Thanks. My number nine is a movie that I've been having trouble putting into words, so I just never did. Um, and in contrast to last year where I was very animation heavy this year, they're the bottom two spots in my top 10, but my number nine is Coco, you know, wildly entertaining, uh, Disney Pixar taking a shot, finally making their empire seem more global, Mm -hmm. um, by taking place in Mexico and, um, it's touching in weird ways and the music in it is, um, it evolves interestingly mm-hmm. uh, from being in a small Spanish town that is focused around uh, mariachi uh, with no music available in um, the protagonist's house uh, to going to the land of the dead, where the most celebrated person is the greatest guitarist of all time, and his, you know, kind of telling his story. It's just, it's fun. It's uh, probably the movie I would show kids this year, looking at my list as well at number nine. Um, it is absolutely gorgeous, too. Yeah, um, it's the Land of the Dead is beautiful. Yeah, they we had a little pre movie roll. Um, you know, sometimes you go to movies and there's they like the cinematographer or someone will come on screen and shake, you know, give you a preview of something. Um, like it'll be an interview with an actor and they'll mm, like yeah. point to like a speech or something. They had two animators come on and they they talk about. Um, when the characters when the characters are crossing the bridge to the land of the dead for the first time, just like it shows, it pans out and shows the entire land of the dead from a wide shot. Um, what would be a city skyline, but this is a city that doesn't have a line at the sky and just goes up and up and up, and mm-hmm. it's just so bright and vibrant, and it's just just a gorgeous movie. Yeah, um, made me feel great watching it, and I'm ready to watch it again. Made me feel lots of things. Yeah, I was really angry at the family in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Really happy at the end. It, it's got a really multi-dimensional villain in it too, to the point where you're not sure if there is a villain until three quarters of the way through the movie. Um, they did a good job of masking that. Yeah, you, I mean, you you suspect it, but it's 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 not it's not obvious the way that a Disney tropey movie would be. 
Um, you know, you don't have your your Lightning McQueen versus like new and improved car or. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. obvious because you know there has to be a big bad. But if you're a kid, you wouldn't. Right. Uh, when, when you're watching, you just think it's, it's time. You know, they got to get across before the sun comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, is the sun comes up or midnight? I forget. Midnight. Midnight. Yeah. You got, he's got to get back across the land of living for midnight. And so you think that's the big push. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really good. It's sun comes up. I'm sorry. Okay. It's a beautiful scene where the sun starts to come up. Coco makes number nine. Nice. Cool. Well, my number nine is something that, uh, depending on the day, has gone up and down in the list, sometimes out, sometimes the top five, (laughs) which I really think uh, matches the wild swings of the movie. I'm going number nine, Okja. <laughs> Love Okja. So, movie great. I've, I've, you know, I keep thinking about here and there as it's, it's not making a lot of top ten lists out there, but is some of the most fun I've had and had some of the most poignant actual scenes. And you know, thinking about a uh, uh, industry that is very visual effects heavy right now, Hollywood is some of the best use of visual effects. Which I'm really happy it made the short list of the Oscars. I'm, is, I'm hoping it gets nominated. Yeah, yeah. creating Okja as a character. And that it's not just a Jar Jar Binks or uh, anything like that is super feeling. And it is just a wild movie. It goes for it in terms of comedy, in terms of like exposing exploitation. A lot of stuff is, you know, either heavy handed, goes here and there. But as an experience, I just, it, it had to be in my top 10 for to capture, you know, what I watched this year. I love when a movie goes for it. Just, you know, I respect that even when even when it doesn't work. And and I in in Oakja for me it works almost all the time. The only time it doesn't really work is Jake Gyllenhaal in the mm-hmm. movie, but everything else just it, I loved. Um love Paul Dano in that movie. Yeah. I really did. I think yeah. it doesn't I think it doesn't do it as much even though I didn't dislike her in it as much, but I think the Tilda Swinton stuff goes a little long. But I thought the scene in the, with Jake Gyllenhaal in the like jail where he's pretty much torturing Ocha was, mm. I mean, I didn't want to watch it. It was hard to watch. I didn't, it wasn't a throwaway. You know what I mean? I guess for me, I'm just saying the comedy of him, his comedy yeah. scenes. And the comedy scenes after that made it so much harder to watch because you can tell he hates doing what he's doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Ocha was great. And another mm-hmm. just beautiful movie. The opening scenes were yes. gorgeous. Oh yeah. my God. Some of my favorite moments yeah. of the year. And one of the most thrilling scenes of the year for me was the foot chase that goes through the subway and through the through like the mall. Yeah. Just really fun. Great use of slow-mo for comedic and suspenseful, you know, the kind of the heist of Okja. Yeah. Yeah. I just really, really enjoyed it. Just really love that director. Yeah. That's something I like about special effects too, that and especially now more than a you know, decade or so ago. Like where the special effects are great and Guardians too, like sure. But Anybody with two hundred million dollars can make a badass CGI yeah. movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. The the shit in Ocha was that that real life <laughs> spliced with Ocha was so well done. Yeah, it's like who are you using for your for your visual effects? Oh, Industrial Light and Magic. Who are you using? Four guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's to me. Hey, number, number, eight, number eight. Number eight. Number eight is uh, as far as I know the greatest movie ever about Sacramento, California. Lady Bird is my number eight movie of the year. It's definitely a story that I think I've seen many, many times on in movies, which is just a high school senior wants to get out and wants to get away from her family, and it's complicated because the and you get the parent who wants the kid to stay, but also realizes they need to have some freedom, and there's conflict. But this one just felt so much more authentic than most of those types of movies do. So even though it was a story I feel like I've seen many times, it was just the the characters seemed way more real and really well written to me. And I really enjoyed that movie. I thought it was very funny and touching at times. 
Yeah, well, I wasn't as impressed with Sharsha as a lot of the guilds are turning out to be. I thought Laurie Metcalf was amazing, and uh, Greta Gerwig just knocked it out of the park, I think. I think the movie's really well-directed and extremely well-written, too. And it's set in 2002, so it probably came from a very true place for her, because yeah. she was at like that age that at that time. Mm-hmm. And the four of us, because right. we were graduating high school around then. Yeah. That was that's easy for us to look at, and, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's like a, uh, I think I talked about it in the podcast, but the feeling of like George Lucas making uh, American Graffiti. It's like that was his childhood, and a lot of people at the time, it's like this movie's in- incredible because I remember these things too. You know, I- I'm starting to get that feeling of um, in my 30s, filmmakers getting a shot making movies in their 30s are now showing kind of reflecting now my childhood, and mm-hmm. it's a, it's kind of a trip. And we'll talk about this later in a, the next podcast where we do some some our first Oscar big Oscar talk of the year. But uh, I think it's going to do well there because a lot of the the guild that's gotten in is kind of close to our age. It's going to hit hard. Mm-hmm. Like friend of the podcast Chad, I was talking to him about. It. He was like, I didn't get a lot of the music because there'd be like really good songs from that era and then really bad songs. And I was like, dude, like sorry, crashing to me in high school was like the sh- awesome best best <laughs> song ever, man. Yeah. I know you think it when, sucks now. When you're but it was eighteen, great when you're seventeen. Yeah, yeah, Dave Matthews, man, he was cool. singing to me. Yeah. <laughs> I just love that the audio probably spiked for that. Dave Matthews was singing to me. <laughs> yeah, Ladybird's good. All right, I got the first repeat of the day. Nice. At uh, at number eight, I have the Last Jedi. Nice. Oh, cool. Um, I really thought what what set it above uh, my bottom two spots um, is when I look back at it. Um, just the assemblage of moments is so stellar. Um, no pun intended. It's not the the places in between. You know, this isn't my critique of jazz where the silence is as important. But it's these huge set piece moments are just perfected. Even the oft criticized casino scene. There's that is that's your lull mm-hmm. for yeah, the that's, part. That's of, the worst part. Well, yeah. no, that's the lull. They intersperse shots of that with the high action of the throne room. Uh, like sure. right. So that's that's not supposed to be the highlight. That's supposed to be the low light, and so when I when I look at the best things that movie did, it really excelled, and all all of the 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 character acting in it from the side cast away from um, you know Daisy Ridley and Adam Driver is just great. I forget her name, uh, but the woman who's John Boyega's companion for majority of the movie rose played by kelly marie tran i think it's her name yeah she's really good she's she's really good in it and is the oft derided character yeah um and and she's she's phenomenal um i I just think it is a great movie and likewise i'm i'm a big fan of ryan johnson and this has got me hyped for what they're going to do with the end of the trilogy Mm -hmm. um and it's it's given me high hopes for the disney star wars machine to take shots on edgier directors yeah so it's number eight on mine. Cool. Sway. My number eight, you know, I really enjoyed Wonder Woman, but the best superhero movie movie of the year for me was Logan. Logan's coming in at number eight. And I'm, I'm noticing a, a pattern here of I'm appreciating the shots people take, and there is not a more reliable franchise than Wolverine and the X-Men as far as, you know, studio success. You know, you put them... <laughs> Wolverine in uh, Japan yeah. and there's a Wolverine movie mm-hmm. I think they they got ex- as experimental as I've seen a big studio get with Logan mm-hmm. with yeah it's rated R whatever but just the the depiction in there is really experimental about what they're showing as like 
we love all of the fights Wolverine gets in. Well, here is like the viscera that is the result of it. Here is the punishment on him from a result of all this stuff. That's always been the undercurrent of Wolverine, but it's never been more kind of up front and center and a major theme than here. And I love uh, side characters are great in it, and it doesn't spend a lot of time uh, introducing them. Yeah. It's not a universe, it's a singular story. You know, you got Professor Xavier and you got Caliban and there's the X-23. And besides that, you have like, you know, the villains aren't the best, but they're still effective. But what it does with those characters, I think, is some of the best handling of superhero story in movies so far. I also appreciate that the the story takes place in an age where exceptionalism is looked down upon. So the villain is, after a big accident that happens as a result of a superpower, the villain is basically regulation. Mm-hmm. Is There are people trying to get all these these mutants under wraps. And so to me is maybe my least favorite villain uh, from a style standpoint, but my favorite for a movie that is that is with like the viscera and the, and the R rating, which is trying to be the most realistic. Mm-hmm. Also like that just uh, an added villain almost is just time and mm-hmm. age in this movie mm-hmm. where it's just... It's fun to see a movie explore what happens when superheroes get old. Like, how do superheroes die? Like, they, do they all live for a, a thousand years? I don't know. Super, I don't know if Superman's ever explored that or anything, but... Yeah, and I think it's, it's uh, you know, spoiler alert, but it's been, like, a, a major news thing is that Wolverine dies at the end of it, and it's not really a result of, like, a huge galactic fight where there's, like, a giant white light trying to destroy a city. It's something much more, much smaller than that. I really appreciate that it, you know, took that shot to go in a different direction. Mm-hmm. I do think it took one thing too that worked so well in the original X Men movies, which was the relationship between Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman. I always thought that was really good. They were really good together on screen. It took that and made a whole movie out of it, which I thought was great. Mm-hmm. It's a great through line through all the X Men movies, even the ones that suck. Yeah, yeah. is at the, the end of the day, Wolverine comes back to the School for the Gifted, and Professor Xavier is there and says, "Like it's about time you came." Like they they were always going to end their lives together, you know, and this is a, a great depiction of it. Yeah, it's a good pick. Number eight. It's the first time this movie's come up, which means I might like it the least out of the four of us. Which means that you're probably cannibalizing my list. <laughs> which means y'all uh, really love Dunkirk, which is my number eight. The reason it's so low because I do think it's just a masterful fucking movie. It wasn't as high as I thought it might be initially after watching it. As uh, that human element was missing a little for me at mm-hmm. times. There wasn't a lot to, to hold on to, and even the parts where I felt like they wanted me to, particularly with uh, Rylance's kid on the boat and his buddy, mm-hmm. um, we've all seen it now, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, that just didn't quite do it for me. Uh, the scene in the beached boat, when they figure out the guy's uh, French and not uh, English, mm-hmm. I felt like they were trying to do it there, didn't really do it for me. The part that tugged at my heartstrings the most was probably uh, Tom Hardy getting ready to land. On the beach at the very very end, yeah, that was beautifully shot. It's my and favorite scene in the movie. Yeah, <laughs> when the, he's the last. The propellers have stopped. The quiet of his the beach run, and he knows like, like I'm gonna land, go get caught. That's yeah, fine. yeah, um, and everybody watching going like, yep, that's Spitfire's fucked. If there's a character mm-hmm. in that movie that was amazing, it's 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 him, I think. But I don't think a lot of it were. A lot of it was just like, how the fuck did Nolan do this? I don't know how he did it. I don't understand. <laughs> like I don't know how you shoot some of the dogfight scenes as well as he did. They're just brilliant. 
movie was directed just masterfully. That was amazing. Yeah, the cinematography was just breathtaking on the big screen. I really, really loved uh, that movie. Good, good pick. So I get to introduce the movie, which looks like the last time I'm going to. Is <laughs> one that was wildly entertaining. It is my uh, number one favorite uh, Atlanta call out. My number two was uh, the Golden Buddha in Itania, nice. around the corner from where we record. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if anyone saw that, but I was super excited. My wife freaked out during <laughs> that uh, Golden Buddha scene. I was yeah. start, she starts like hitting me on the I shoulder. Was too late to and, and it's too, I've gotten to the point where now that enough things have been filmed in Atlanta where anytime she just starts hitting me on the shoulder, it, uh, uh, when they're just showing a parking lot, she doesn't even have to say. I know it's just some place she's seen and she's been to, and uh, we're good. <laughs> but it's like there. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but the, so the, the number one Atlanta movie this year uh, for me is uh, my number seven, uh, Baby Driver. Um, I am just a student of anything that Edgar Wright does, and just like want to watch it. You know, a few praise. Loved Edgar Wright. Baby Driver was just so much fun. Um, the movie could have been with zero dialogue, and I would have appreciated it just as much. Um, what it does with music more than just the music video should have matching it up to the action um, with you know our protagonist baby with tinnitus is just incredible um, the, the the choreographed scenes to just like wild fun music uh, is just a, a, a great spectacle that they're driving around Atlanta didn't actually play into why it ranked it as high as they did um, um, again another movie that just excels with a, with a large cast of characters no no apologism for uh, Kevin Spacey being in it, like whatever. The the movie's great. Movie's great. Uh, Fox and Ham were really good too. Is yeah. yeah. Fox is a through and through villain, but Ham Fox and Catch Ham. <laughs> but his uh, Ham's turn in that movie was really well done too. I think mm-hmm. it's kind of the like he'll be there to stick up for Baby. To oh my God, he's evil. Was yeah. really good. Yeah, and they they foreshadow it too. It's like there's a character that tells you it's like once. You know he's he's gonna get his revenge. He's gonna get it. Yeah. And movie is pretty good making that turn. I saw this this week. Nice. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Finally, um, it has like again talking about some of my favorite scenes. I think about in in twenty seventeen movies. Man, the bell bottom blues, the uh, John Spencer blues explosion, opening heist. Yeah. And the so uh, the gunfight to uh, tequila is like some of the best stuff. I've seen all year. It was just fucking fun. That also, movie was fun to I sit s- in the theater and watch with the what you you at, when you hear uh, baby's left side earbud to the your left in that the movie theater, the theater and you hear fantastic. his right side earbud on your yeah. right mm-hmm. in the theater. That's really there a was lot of one fun. scene and one driving scene where the bud like falls out and the sound totally dropped and he puts it back in and the sound comes back. So fuck you, Edgar Wright. Yeah, shit. <laughs> yeah. brilliant motherfucker. And there's there's probably a bunch of stuff that I even missed that was. You know, little little pieces. That's how Edgar Wright builds his little Rube Goldberg device movies. Yeah. yeah. Um, I saw it really recently, so probably sitting with me, I'm going to enjoy it a lot more. And and it's definitely going to be rewatched. I still it's, love that he went and found 97 Won the River too on yeah. the dial. Like, yeah. God, Edgar, you put in some research hours. Yeah. It's it's it was one of the movies that when I was building my Oscar predictions, I saw it kind of sneak into a couple uh, lists. Well, it's not sneaking into a couple, but it's 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 planting its feet in some sound mixing categories. Um, and was the movie that I was like, oh shit, that's right, I really want to rewatch that movie, like, now. Really good. My seven? Yep. My my seven was a number one for most of the year for me, and it's kind of fallen a little bit. It was, uh, surprising movies for me was Colossal. You know, I'm not the biggest Anne Hathaway fan, but, uh, I thought the movie was, uh, stupendous. <laughs> and it really, 
it really comes on you subtle what the movie is actually about, which I, I can appreciate it. Um, but uh, once it does, and like kind of it, it's on on the nose stating its thesis for you. But when it did that, it really floored me as what it's about. And I think it's a great kind of analogy for uh, something that just becomes more pervasive as a issue of you know toxic masculinity and you know marginalization. I think that was well said. I did. I, I loved Colossal. Um, but yeah, I'll tell you one a little while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely. Yeah, I think that was well put. I, I really enjoyed that movie. It and Baby Driver were my last two cuts that I made when trying to make out my top ten. So I love both those movies. I think it is a movie that doesn't do itself any favors after. Uh, I'm not wearing that well. It's it's hard to. The longer you get away from that movie, you don't want to rewatch it. Yes, the hard parts are so hard to watch. Yeah, that you don't want to revisit it. So you kind of just want to forget about it at times. Yeah. Especially if you've ever seen any kind of like uh, the the verbal abuse Sadekas delivers in that movie is he's so good. Um, yeah, he is pure acid. It is it is borderline like J.K. Simmons whiplash at times where you're just like Whoa! or I don't, like it. I don't his, like it. I don't his like it. Vitriol, Janie yeah, and I, Tanya. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's almost played. I for... need to see your list, TJ. I wonder if we need to call somebody. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh. It's, it's, it's a great movie. Where are we at? Seven? Yep. Uh, my number seven's been talked about a little while. It's Lady Bird. Nice. My number seven. Really impressed with the direction of that movie. I think that's the the standout for me. I think Greta did a fantastic job. Yeah, there's not a lot of wasted time in that movie. There's, you know, really it's, it's well paced. Her going out and getting two of the greatest, you know, up and coming young, early 20s teens actors and Timothy Chalamet and Lucas Hedges too, both mm-hmm. killed it in their roles in that movie. And uh, the fact that she went out and got a super veteran cast as much as you can with the kids, and then to go get somebody like Lori Metcalf, what's the dad's name? Tracy Letts. Yeah, to go get those. Not Daniel Stern. Yeah, not Daniel Stern. <laughs> um, but Lori Metcalf, which was a great casting choice for that role, too. Veteran actress knows what she's mm-hmm. doing. You can focus more on the kids as a director. Just a big fan of Lady Bird. And you, what's really great about it is you, you see it from... Like, you understand her. She's not, like, just an adversary to Lady Bird in the movie. She's almost you, a co-lead. Yes, and you get movie. you get her perspective so well. I think that's why it's it's important that Greta Gerwig, you know, didn't make this in her early 20s mm-hmm. or in her late 40s because mm-hmm. she is still close enough to her teens to remember Lady Bird's perspective. But she is also now, I feel like if we're in our 30s, we can start to see things from the parents' perspective, too. Yeah, it's a it's not a villain mom like you know, Allison Jenny and I Tanya one of the odds said recently it was really well put. Like her job was to be the biggest asshole on screen whenever she was on screen. Mm-hmm. Tanya. And Lori Metcalf, while she's like a annoying ass mom, you kinda of know where she's coming from. It's love. It yeah. is love. And also like you got more shit to worry about. Like, you know? Mm-hmm. I need to know how many towels are dry. <laughs> Makes the day click, you know? Don't use three fucking towels. <laughs> TJ, I'm curious as to, and you don't have to get into it if you don't want to, but but why this movie kind of soured on the vine for you? Because I know that you were really high on it right after you saw it. Was it just the strength of the other nominees on your list? Um, yeah. Strength of the other nominees, and also kind of a degree of difficulty, a little bit. Okay. This movie didn't really start with a super high degree of difficulty. I mean, she got one of, if not the best young actress out there now to play her lead role. Yeah. Just just not a lot going on. I mean, it's, it's a right. really good story that was filmed really well. Uh, the movie had no, like, 
real flaws that I could pick out. I also know when it comes to my list, there's not a world of difference between number one and even number ten on my list. Yeah, like that's, that's another thing, too. Yeah. This is why this I had so to bring it down. I had, I, I had to split some hairs to make this order. And what did I enjoy a lot? And like, Well, I enjoyed watching Lady Bird because I consider myself a cinephile, and I thought I was watching a really good movie, and that made me happy. I wasn't like joyous watching it, yeah. ever. It may have been because we had those assholes that were talking behind us in the theater. Oh, I need to see Lady Bird again for that play, reason. Playing the saran wrap Christmas game, pretty much. <laughs> yes, it was. Anyway. By, by the way, Brent, as you say that, that you were splitting hairs, I am currently editing my list as we talk. Mm-hmm. Like, my, my list is transforming, like, this moment. Yeah, Movies are moving up and down on my list. Plus, I'm also not as clinical with this list. Like, I, yeah. when it came to number... I knew Star Wars was going to be number 10, so it came down to... Baby Driver, Logan, and no, Baby Driver, Logan, Colossal, and Wonderstruck for that spot. And I thought, I'm just going to go ahead and give some lip service to the one movie that I that is least likely to appear on another list. The movie that you look forward to the most. So, yeah, I was like, I'll pick Wonderstruck because, eh, why not? We'll just talk about in one extra movie, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, sure. yeah, it's, I don't worry as much about having stuff place lower yeah. but um yeah i mean i, I will say like my, my bottom three were dunkirk the big sick and i tanya starting with ladybird they're all movies that um i pretty much ranked how how do they make me emote kind of yeah yeah well that point. um that'll bring me to my number seven movie yep mm-hmm. i was stunned by how good the ensemble was in this movie and it's a great adaptation of stephen king's it it is my number seven movie of the year Nice. Really enjoyed that experience watching that. And this was my uh, last cut for the top ten. It, it was uh, hovering. I was uh, was really impressed with uh, Bill Skarsgård mm-hmm. or Sarsgard or Skarsgård as <laughs> as uh, Pennywise the clown. The, mo- the 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 horror moments were terrifying to me, and uh, the 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 kid actors were all really good. I was just really thoroughly impressed. I, it's one of the. It seemed difficult to make that work. Those are the kind of movies where I'm always impressed when they work, and it did. I, I got to rewatch it recently with a buddy of mine uh, who had never seen it, uh, so I got to look for stuff. Mm. Um, and man, there's some extra shit in there that's really creepy. <laughs> there's the scene in the library yeah, yeah. me and David have talked about before, where that lady's like looking at him with a blurred, big grin, mm. just horrifying. Um, but right before um, the guy kills his dad, the cop. Uh, with the switchblade like, oh, right. into his neck. Uh, the whole time he's walking throughout the house, you can barely hear the TV, but the TV's just like, like obviously a kid show, and you kind of drone out what they're saying, but uh, it's like, where's the best place to play with your friends? And the little girl's like, the sewer. It's like, uh, oh no, don't listen to the TV. <laughs> the TV is now bad. Yeah. That's another one. It didn't make my list, but it's got some of my favorite scenes of the year. Opening scene, I think, is an amazing short movie in itself. Yes. And the slideshow scene is, I think, genuinely great and innovative horror. There's some laugh out loud moments in the middle of horror scenes. Yeah. Yeah. The doors, the scary, really scary, not scary at all, (laughs) was hilarious. Uh, And him coming out of the fridge is one of the the best well done horror scenes, I think. I was so good. I was really, uh, I was not expecting him to come out of the screen on the projector. And yeah. so I, they, had, they had really played up that scene in trailers for mm-hmm. the movie. And so you'd seen him appearing in the images. And when that had, that when that happened, I just thought, okay, well, I was, you know, I was prepared for this. And then a giant version of Pennywise climbs <laughs> out of the screen. And I was like, I was not ready for this. This is amazing. <laughs> abort, abort. Door. Yes. Get out, get out, get out. Right, David, number six. Uh, number six. Uh, number six. It's a more recent movie I've seen, too. Um, really, I think it's a 
fantastic epic that I didn't really anticipate. It is The Lost City of Z. Oh, that was the great one. No, not surprised. I think all four of us now. Yeah. Yes. I would actually like to rewatch it because uh, it. I remember enjoying it very much and don't remember a lot about it. But I, I remember being surprised by the terrific uh, acting from Hunnam and Pattinson. Their yes. duo is just electric. Pattinson's great. They, they, they get really beat good. up a lot, but they're both incredible in it. I think it really cuts to the core of what exploration movies are. It's like they're about your own name, getting it out there, and you are sacrificing everybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially I love that. Yeah. yeah, I love that it, it becomes an analogy and also literal of that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's got a, a beautiful ending to it, and it's got uh, a great treatment of, you know, there's a marginalized wife character that I think they treat really, really thoughtfully in the end mm-hmm. of her, she has her own ambitions, and, you know, she's watching the Explorers Club, and it's like, I need to be there. I found this Portuguese letter that, like, made this possible. And she's not allowed, and she's got a, a really great grace note in the very finale of the movie, and I just thought, and, you know, for a, a movie that uh, I think Amazon Studios finance, the the stuff in the Amazon is fantastic. It's like an old, you know, 50s epic mm-hmm. where they would, you know, go out into the jungle. Mm. Yeah. I was, I was uh, you know, again, taken aback by it. And, you know, it took some, I thought also it took some swings for a set. Everyone's got, like, period clothing and you think it's going to be one thing. And I thought it was really visceral, too, mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah, I agree with you on on one thing in there, which is uh, Sienna Miller, right, played the... Yes. Yeah, she was great, and that character was really well handled. The end lost me a little bit. It dropped it down maybe like half star at the end. I just And it's not really a fault of the movie, because ending that story is so hard. It's true. Yeah, the ending. Well, yeah. yeah. The way it's portrayed, though. Right. Oh, like, right. With the circle of people marching them off. Oh, right. We yeah. don't know. We just They just got lost. They right. could have drowned in the river. But it's so hard to end that movie. Uh, that, that's why I didn't fault him too much. Cause, yeah, I thought it kind of, you know, like, like I'm saying, the pretty. swing it took was, was that. That was the big swing yeah. for me. Yeah, was, sure. I thought it was a great visual way to was, tell something that no one really knows. Yep. Neat. That's my six. Uh, my number six is Baby Driver. Nice. Yeah, I put it at the bottom of these kind of, like I said, how did I feel movies? Because, uh, goddamn, it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. It was just nonstop fun. It didn't seem to drag at all for me. I was never bored. Uh, even in the parts where I thought I would be, like them at the bridge trying to run away at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, the most eye-rolly part was probably Spacey kind of turning good. Didn't really fit that character a lot. But yeah. at the same time, like, this movie's bullshit anyway. Like, it's yeah. not it's not meant to... It's complete fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Which which which, which tra- grounds itself in reality with, with the driving and the realism of the setting, the mechanics, and the physics, but that's it. Like, all the characters are so unbelievable. Yeah. But that's part mm-hmm. of the fun. They're all types, yeah. Anyway, like he's like the the crime boss type. Jamie Foxx is a certain type. John Hamm is a certain type. Yeah, but I will echo that. I really do think John Hamm was great. He's probably the highlight of that movie for me. Mm-hmm. This is, this Aside is, from the director, the movie version of the song "Ballroom Blitz." <laughs> yes. Short, fun. Yep. My number six movie. Number six. I'm still trying to unpack a little bit. It's the movie I saw most recently. It is a fucking trip. <laughs> Phantom Thread. Oh. The new Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Yeah. It is... Um, I almost don't want to say too much about like the plot of the movie because mm-hmm. I knew very little going into it other than it's about a 
a dressmaker, a British dressmaker in the 1950s who he runs the company with his sister. And at the beginning of the movie, it kind of starts with his sister taking uh, the the role of, of ditching his most recent muse, so to speak. Mm-hmm. He has started to ignore this girl he's been sleeping with. And so she it, she has to take it upon herself to, to kind of get rid of her and uh, get her gone. And then he just instantly goes out and finds this new young model to uh to be his muse uh the this girl named alma and the dynamic between the designer whose last name is woodcock and the uh new girl alma is uh really incredible the two of them on screen together it daniel day lewis is as good as you would imagine he would be in a paul thomas anderson movie and but the girl creeps creeps i've heard it as creeps creeps that's weird to feels say wrong. yeah uh but yeah vicky creeps i think as good as ddl in this movie yes. and uh i don't even know what to call the movie is it it's a romance in a really strange and bizarre way it has one of the greatest dinner table scenes i've ever seen so many points in this movie i laughed out loud like it was a <laughs> very funny movie which i was not expecting I, I, I don't know. I don't want to say too much, but there's a chance this might ultimately be my number one movie of the year, or it might drop off my top ten down the road. But who who knows how I'm going to remember it, but for now, nice. it deserves a place for just being a movie that two days after I saw it, or a day after I saw it, I'm still trying to figure out what the fuck I was really happening. So, a lot of fun. Cool. Nice. My number six, and I'll do it quick. I feel like we gave this movie a lot of love already, but it is the last uh, romance on my list, and I think it's the best of the year. It's The Big Sick, um, at number six for me. Um, I love that story. Um, it's true, you know, true to life. Um, Ray Romano, Holly Hunter, phenomenal. Yep. Um, <clears throat> love Kumail. I've followed him for a while. Listened to their he and his wife's podcast, The Indoor Kids, mm-hmm. for a long time, and just got fucking excited when they said they were making a movie about. <laughs> how they got married and how they met and everything. So. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love the big sick. It is the last uh, last feel good movie on my list. <laughs> <laughs> TJ number five. It's the best romantic comedy of the year. <laughs> like uh, written, directed, and starring Zoe Lister Jones, Adam Pally, Fred Armisen. It's Band Aid. I've been wanting to see it since you talked about it, but I just haven't seen um, it. Yet. Just an absolutely delightful rom com at times and heartbreaking romance at other times. Um, Zoe Lister Jones and Adam Pally play a couple whose uh, wedding's on the fritz. They can't have kids. Fight all the time. They dig out his old guitar and her old bass and get their neighbor, creepy ass, sex addicted Fred Armisen, to come play drums for him. As and, himself, uh, pretty much plays himself. <laughs> yeah, no, but um, they turn their fights into songs and they uh, start playing shows. They get a little bit of a following in their uh, little like suburb, kind of outside of L.A. It just goes from there, but it's it's uh, just really well done. Really impressive, too, for somebody to... Uh, she produced it, too. She funded it, directed it, wrote it, starred in it. She kills it. And a uh, big fan of Adam Pally. I love Adam Pally. As well. Mm-hmm. She got some she got some good people uh, to play the supporting characters. Uh, it's just a, a fantastic romantic comedy. It's really good. Really tugs at the heart strings. TJ loves love. Nice. But, uh, that movie is a blind spot for me. I don't. I knew very little about it, but I'm, yeah, I've got it. Watch it now. Slightly better than The Big Sick, in my opinion, which is crazy. <laughs> my number five movie is Dunkirk, which might, it might, there's a good chance it's like the best movie that was made this year. I just don't know <laughs> that it was my one of my four favorite movies of sure. the year, which is kind of what you were getting at, I think, too. But uh, 
the cinematography that on the beach is is one of the things that stands out to me where you see the bombs exploding in the distance mm-hmm. and they're getting closer and closer and closer mm-hmm. that was one of the most unsettling shots of the love, year for me i loved your quote i was like because I was excited to watch this, because it's only an hour and a half long, and you're like, it'd be irresponsible for him to make this movie two hours long. <laughs> yes. It, it, <laughs> could, nobody could take you that. Feel, it's the only hour and a half movie that's ever made me feel exhausted after watching <laughs> yeah. it. I feel like there's a, and there's like, in the soundtrack, a clock ticking the entire movie. Yep. Like, buried underneath sounds. I would not be surprised if it gets faster the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the, uh, the I was going to just quickly say that the air fighting scenes were were just incredible. The any anything involving the cinematography and the air when the propellers stop on that plane and it's just gliding that is just it's like beautiful. almost silence but almost just like and there's just like wind. Yeah. Like oh no. Yeah. So so intense, so good. Uh, and number 5 my my five spot is Logan. Nice. Uh, really love this movie. This my my top five has been pretty firm for a while now. Um, where things fit in it has been more liquid, but Logan has always been in there. Again, just just stunned when I saw the direction they took with it. Mm-hmm. I get that that it was based off of a more classic western, but for me, that marriage is just as impressive as it being an original take on it. Love Patrick Stewart. Love Stephen Merchant. Like mm-hmm. it's just a, a fantastic movie that tells. A very tough story of how do you kill a superhero, and for that I've got it at number five. They nailed it. Yeah. It's an amazing farewell. Way better than fucking killing Superman. <laughs> God. Yeah. A little better. Oh, Maybe we'll hear more from Just- Justice League Just- later on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We may be talking a little more about Justice League later in this. <laughs> I'll hold my take. <laughs> Logan's real good. Logan was very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And a lot of, uh, for my number five, a lot of this is up in flux. Just hearing you guys talk about this stuff, it's like, oh yeah, that was my, in, a, in my top five. Um, for my five, it's uh, The Big Sick again. I don't have a lot more to say about it. Fair. I tried to hold back my takes, but just, uh, I guess the best take is I just want to see it again. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's such a pleasure giver a huge as a from movie. David too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, I want to rewatch. 2018 is the year of the rewatch, though, for David. It's the year of the rewatch. Actually, in 2017, it's one of the movies I saw twice. Nice. I saw The Big Sick twice. That is great praise for me. Yeah. Number four for me Blade Runner 2049. That was a an experience unlike any other visually for me this year in the, at the theater, and it was uh, a movie that never should have really existed. Who nobody was thinking a Blade Runner sequel would no go well, and no one wanted one. And uh, it just further reinstilled my love for uh, Denis Villeneuve. Nice. Just, just nobody handles tense moments. I feel like as well as he does. The movie even manages to have a theme that's almost as strong as the first Blade Runners. The first Blade Runner was more about, like, what does it mean to be human? Whereas this is, what does it mean to be special, I think? Or, you know, I think that's a, a big theme in this movie. But I loved it. I loved uh, so much about this movie. It's just uh, a very worthy follow-up that might be, I mean, might be as good or better than the original, even. It's, I loved it. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's my number five. <laughs> <laughs> it's one I'm definitely excited to, to see. I think no. it's out for right now. That was your five or four? Five. Okay. Nope. Wait. That's your four. That's, your That's four. my number you four. You started the four. Number four. I was about to say, because I was like, this is a perfect transition for me to pretend like I have nothing to say about Blade Runner, because my number four movie isn't Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a tar pitch experiment with Dunkirk. As soon as I saw it, it was the top three. And then 
it was number two pretty firmly. And then it was number three pretty firmly. Now it's four. And I think the reason why, and I'm not going to take the time to explain why I ranked it higher than other people to talk about why I don't like it. Mm. But I think it's important that it's out of my top three because when I think back on the movie about the things that I liked about it, they're only things that applied while I was sitting there watching it. Really not a movie for discussion, in my opinion, which is kind of, you know, antithetical to what we do here. But it is an experience. It is a 90-minute ride that you have to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you don't, like, I understand why hearing about some of the stuff they did would sound like, yeah, it's just another war movie. Like, the dogfight is really good. It's like, okay, so... How does it stack up against like other classic movies who've done dogfight scenes? But it's just, it's everything. It's the score. It's, it is the ticking clock. It's one of the things that I noticed. It's one of two scores this year to take industrial sounds and just blend them into the score. The score was so good. <laughs> just the way that like bullets ripping through metal will then incorporate into the beat of the song that's playing that's driving the action. That makes you think that they're constantly under fire. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, 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 it's really good asterisk. Like, it's just... It's it's not a movie that it's a movie that I will remember. I will remember, but it's not a movie that if someone said, "Hey, why is Dunkirk so good?" I would have anything to say other than you got to watch it. It's an intense experience. I think the most impressive thing it does is it puts you in that place. Yeah, and it's that experience that is is so impressive. But when you're done with the movie, when you're off the beach, when you're out of Dunkirk, you're just almost glad to be out of it. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's it's, it. it's a complete exhale. Um, it is a stressful, intense movie that the, the scene where, where uh, you know, spoiler alert, the soldiers leave, um, <laughs> but where they're like, they're walking around after like making it out of Dunkirk is like such a relief. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason why it's dropping down so, so far is because, you know, a movie needs to be important for more than the time it's on screen. For Dunkirk, that expired ten minutes after watching it. Yeah, you don't walk out thinking about themes and like what it what it means and right. and, and what. That being said, I want to echo everything everyone said to praise it. Of um, course, it made your top four. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as much as I talk shit about Nolan and his ivory tower and go watch it in seventy millimeter IMAX, like I watch it, and I was like, I get it. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm an asshole. Like, I understand now. Yeah, and I, there's not much else in this movie other than the visual just awe. Yeah, and, I, and I, I rented it, and it was it was in my computer, and I was, like, hands on the sides of my desk, like, face inches from the screen, like, not because of his purpose, but because that's just what happens when you watch it. Mm-hmm. And, and it, I mean, 20 years from now, we could be talking about this as one of the best shot movies of all time, and I would not be surprised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You never know how a movie's going to age, right. really. Number four, right. My number four... Uh, I get to introduce this movie. I'm hoping it is higher on your guys' list, but it is uh, Get Out. No, really. Get Out! (laughs) Get Out is a... uh, If you know the story, maybe you... It doesn't sneak up on you, but the the social satire and the skewering uh, sneaks up on you, and also another one that floored me with that. While also being genuinely a great horror movie, generally a great thrilling movie, and genuinely a hilarious movie. Yeah. Yeah. It straddles so many things and does so many things well. It is a lean movie, too. All the things that you may think are little side plots, you know, there's the thing with his uh, with his cousin that comes into play, there's the stuff about uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character yep. as a, a great example. And, uh, the everything... Georgina scenes in the bedroom with the phone charger. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> the whole cover... I have... Anybody rewatched it? 
I've seen it twice. God, yeah. I started the other night, then I had to get up and walk outside when he turned to ask Allison Williams, like, I just need, do your parents know I'm black? And I was just like, nope, no, nope. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> yes, they do know. They're so sure you're black. <laughs> they are fucking positive. They're going to be real disappointed if you're not. <laughs> <laughs> this, and this movie is surprisingly not the killing of the sacred deer. <laughs> Despite the opening five minutes killing a deer. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a fantastic movie. I think one in retrospect for the year is probably going to be one of the most important in the years to come. And it was just uh, it was a great experience at the same time. It was really fun, despite being really tense, uh, and just really really enjoyed it. And important too, because we yeah. may have found the next badass writer director. Yeah. I mean, holy shit! Yeah. What a debut! <laughs> I, I I don't want to foreshadow our next podcast, but I will probably. I think that we are going to talk about the movie Get Out in years to come as a movie for the Oscars will get nominated and will have the Get Out slot because I think that it is going to do better than expected. It's very possible. Yeah. Wrapping up the number four, is that number correct? Four, TJ. Uh, my number four is Colossal, which made David's top ten. Uh, really high on that from the get-go. Uh, I will add one thing. I think all the rest of my movies hold a lot of importance and uh, this dealing with your problems and owning them mm-hmm. yeah. was really well done, I thought. That nobody gives a shit about your bullshit except you. And if you don't, nobody else is going to. Mm-hmm. So For, you gotta own it, you gotta deal with it, fix it, or don't. But For a movie about giant monsters, I'm just impressed how many different themes are dealt with very well in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember I, I walked away with praise slash criticism being that like the monster could be one of 20 metaphors. Mm-hmm. It, it, it is whatever you... It, it, and it was all of them at once. Yeah. yeah it's, it's whatever you take to the movie. Whatever your baggage is when you start that movie, that is what you will interpret Anne Hathaway and Jason Sudeikis' monster as. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because she doesn't have that one thing. She's not just like a heroin addict. She's addicted to alcohol. She's lazy. She sleeps too much. She doesn't have a job. She's got all these problems. Yeah. And none of it matter until she wants to fix it. And then the way it ends with her handling it. I mean, sometimes it's that easy. Yeah. yeah. In a really kind of like charming, sweet, very, very literal way. It's funny. Yeah. And then just the, the turn it made. I remember when I first brought it up on the podcast, I think I was the first one to have seen it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to tell anybody anything because I had no idea where it was going when it made that turn. Mm-hmm. You felt like something was off with Jason Sudeikis the whole time. I don't know. Every time he brought a piece of furniture to her house, I was like, where's the, where are they going with this? Is he going to like trick her into staying? Is that it? Mm-hmm. And you realize like, oh no, he's just a fucking dick. He's a bad guy. <laughs> I remember watching that thinking about how mad Cassandra would, would have been. If anyone did that to her, just like brought her furniture, and because in her mind she would be like, "Well, thanks for making it my problem." Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, anybody hasn't seen Colossal? I think it premiered at TIFF. I want to say last year, but yeah, like August, maybe South by Southwest year. or something. Mm-hmm. But early maybe this year. But don't let it fall out of your sight. Yeah. Number three. I got number three, and I'm going to go with three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Nice. It is also my number three. Yes. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> Finally. Uh, first time anybody said yeah. two on the same slot. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, unsurprisingly, TJ and I co-reviewed this. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> Just got posted too. And we both kind of wound up saying that it is it is virtually a perfect movie. There's really no spoiled time on screen by any actor. It's phenomenal performances out of Francis McDormand, Woody Harrelson, Sam Rockwell... Like, that's naming the top three builds, but everyone else in the movie, even going as far down as Samuel Weaving, 
uh, as the bit role as Frances McDormand's ex-husband's new girlfriend uh, that is on screen for two scenes total five minutes is just fucking phenomenal. You know, she's it's it's just so well casted, so well acted. You can tell that this is a this is a a, a screenwriter's movie. And that being said, Martin McDonough just it's it's a playground for him uh, and phenomenal, really touching at times and appropriately dark in others. Uh, I just loved it. It just keeps you moving so much. Um, who played? I apologize. Uh, Caleb Landry Jones. Sandy Martin. Who was I think from Napoleon Dynamite is probably what she's best known for, but plays Sam Rockwell's mother. Yeah. And at that moment when she realizes Rockwell's gone, you can tell she's like, Oh fuck. Like she knows her son is a shithead. Yeah. Like what's like worried he's gonna just like blow something up or kill a bunch of people. Yeah. It's that movie keeps you on your toes. It's really well written and good God, Francis McDormand can fucking act. Holy yeah. hell. And, and she really good. <laughs> yeah, and and likewise with with uh, Rockwell's mother is often you will take bit characters and make them static as foils for the main character, but every character in this movie is dynamic. Like it's there is there is a shift and an arc in everyone because when I forget the actress's name already, Abby Cornish, no Sandra Jones. What did you say, Rockwell's mom? Oh, uh, Sandy Martin. Sandy Martin. When Sandy Martin is is first introduced to us. It's, you know, you, you watch her on screen and you go, oh, she's the reason why Sam Rockwell is such a shithead. It's his upbringing. Like, she's, like, the, the racist, misogynist, like, go out and get a job, you worthless sack of shit. And then, like, she has enough of a turn by the end of the movie that, like, every character was written to develop, which mm-hmm. is something that I think is, is, is rare in a movie with a cast as stacked as this. Yeah. And it also has that important thing I was talking about in the rest of my movies. Uh, revenge normally doesn't work out too well. And they, they kind of figure that out in this one. And I, and I like the way that that was delivered on screen. Uh, really well written by McDonough. Yeah, for sure. I will add that I think the I think the performances alone are worth the price of admission. Frances McDormand is, is incredible in the role. And as much praise as him, her, and Rockwell are getting, too, Woody Harrelson was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, just mind-blowingly good. He plays down-to-earth pretty well. Really yeah. well. So, yeah, that was, that was good. Um <laughs> And just like as as a man who's carrying a cross that he forgot that he was carrying, like having this this terrible situation foisted upon him, he kind of has that aha moment where he's like, you know what, you're right, maybe we did fuck up that investigation, and he starts anew. Like he's just like it's really good as like hometown cop. It was it was really good, fantastic mm-hmm. movie. Um, if it was number one on any list, I wouldn't blink. I wouldn't balk if it won Best Picture. Yeah. David, you're number three. My number three. I'm trying to figure out how to sell it to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. My my hold number on, three. On, it... <laughs> David has seen the Great Wall. He didn't tell us about it. <laughs> my number three is uh, more about emotion than plot, and I think it does it really well. And the visuals are some of the most stunning, but most ordinary of anything I've seen is Columbus. That's my number three. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> number three spot. <laughs> some of the movies were like that I saw were. They, they fell in rankings and some were, were rising. The more, this movie just really stuck with me. And the, the, it perfectly strikes the move of like when your life is in transition, mm-hmm. but you're, you're keeping yourself stuck. Of like that specific feeling is like the entire movie's vibe for me. And there are two characters dealing with that, both yes. at different points in their lives. Yes. Which is, and, and they've, they found a bond over it and, it's it's it is almost a platonic romance movie to mm-hmm. me in the way that they they come together over it. But it's it's a very quiet movie. 
but man, the performances between the two of them are so good. And John Cho has always been a a very good actor, it's I think. A secret and, weapon, yeah. and he just never has gotten the chances that he deserved over the years. And it's so good to see him in a leading role where he nails it. Likewise, the younger his younger uh, counterpart, Haley Lou Richardson, blew me away in that movie. Yeah, she's she is dyna- like quiet dynamite. If you're a fan of like acting just from people's faces, like the thing that's being said is not the thing they're feeling. It's just, like her reaction and like the her being racked. You can just see it in her face and in her eyes. Mm-hmm. Same with John Cho. You know, you can see what he's going through, being torn between two worlds, both of them, in their own analogies. I know what you mean. It's It feels weird to say face acting, because yeah. so much of that, unless you're Ryan Gosling, is face acting for almost everyone. But, he's, you know, Gosling's all body acting, you know, his arms <laughs> waving everywhere. Anyway, Haley uh, <laughs> Richardson, though, she, they, I, I think they know what they've got in her. Like, you, you, can, you have just a direct, through her eyes and her face, you just have a, more of an open pipeline to everything her character's going through. And you just know, you feel everything she feels. I think they know what they've got with her in that movie because there's a scene that really struck me when I was watching it where uh, the camera's in the back seat of a car and they're in the front seat of the car talking. And all you can see of her, she's in the driver's seat, all you can see of her is her eyes in the rear view mirror Mm -hmm. as she's talking to John Cho. And Cho, you can see like the side of his face, but you are so focused on her in that scene. And it is remarkable uh, i think she is one of the best uh acting performances i've seen in years and she's like 22 years old when she made that movie yeah. which is insane she's also really really good she stands out in uh the edge of 17 which was the 2016 version of uh ladybird Lady Bird. yeah that, that she's an actress to watch i think absolutely and you know despite having seen movies that are probably gonna be nominated for best cinematography it's probably my favorite of the year just taking the ordinary and making it making it extraordinary. That's true. The town of Columbus, Indiana, I never knew about. Uh, yeah. I did not know it was a, a haven for modern art or modern architecture. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really cool. Neat. Beautiful movie. Yeah, that's my biggest advocacy pick. I think that's probably the least seen out there mm-hmm. in my top ten. I think people should check it out. And I also completely understand if you don't like the movie. I think that's what I said after I watched yeah. it. I said, this isn't going to be for everybody. Oh, I was just going to say that, like, uh, yeah, I could, I could totally understand if people are just kind of bored by it. but, And I might have been bored by it if I didn't watch it in the right frame yeah. of mind. You, sometimes you sit down and watch a movie and it's just not the right time for the movie. But for me, it was, and I loved it. I was going to say, to me, it sounds like the Patterson of this year. I haven't seen that, but... An off, which was not seen by very, by very many people, but is very singularly related to the two characters. Yeah. And If you're on and the movie's town. wavelength, you know, it sticks with you. Yeah. Well, I guess we don't even need to do TJ and mine for three. Yeah. Yep. So David's up for David number, number two. two. My number two of the year is Dunkirk. So I'm the one who saw it the the worst way you could do it, uh, not on the on an IMAX Apple screen. Watch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess not the absolute worst. On an iPod. A series of daguerreotypes. Yeah. I saw it on an iPod Touch. You saw. It. Yeah, they put it on at the park for you, the neighborhood kids. <laughs> the thing that I was that I was struck by is, I think I did connect with the human element. The, it seemed like the most perfect uh, analogy for me for like an inferno, hell, purgatory. Um, I was almost kind of connecting on a, on a like like a meta not metaphysical. I don't want to sound pretentious about it, but like the analogy for being again being stuck in a place and there's nothing you can do. And everything around you to get out of it is you being killed. 
it, it made me feel like, you know, the, not the aphorism, but whatever the opposite of an aphorism is, like, war is hell. It's like, it is literally hell. Like, this is, <laughs> this is suffering, and it's also intense and suspenseful. And yeah, it's like worse than eternal fire. It's, just, it's like random fire. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there, there's no order to the danger. Right. It, it, it comes in the middle of safety, you know, when people are celebrating. And it's, and it's a surprising degree of safety existing in this, like, objective danger. Yeah, and it was also the most one of the most formally experimental movies I think I saw all year. With uh, how it juggles the timelines. Mm-hmm. And it's not about callbacks or it's like the Pulp Fiction thing of like the interlocking plots. It's like they're interlocked by how they make you feel. That's it's true. Like, the, and uh, it didn't have to be. It's a Nolan movie. It's a World War II movie about a real event. And I thought it was, you know, super experimental, the approach to it. Sure. Definitely. And I do think taking like a macro approach to the, the humanity of that movie is an interesting take. Uh-huh. Yeah. And as far as like the, you know, you don't connect to the... You know, some of the actors, you know, it's true, but I think they're more avatars to get you, like, into for, for what Johnny does... Soldier. Yeah, what does it feel like to be at Dunkirk? Oh, yeah, I don't think at all that that was a mistake. Sure. I mean, I don't think Christopher Nolan makes many mistakes <laughs> making mm-hmm. movies, but, yeah, no, that's all really well said. I really like the idea of looking at it kind of as a, a big picture thing. Neato. TJ, number two. Get Out is my number two. <laughs> Double number two. Get out is also my number two. Yeah, it's it's. We've all said a lot about that movie. I do think the uh, as good as uh, the lead is in that Kaluuya. Um, mm-hmm. The family is fantastic. All of them: Kayla Lady Jones, Allison Williams, Catherine Keener, and uh, Bradley Whitford are all, you know, white. They're all, they're all white. <laughs> uh, they're and, all also in this movie. And Stephen Root is as, as oh, yeah, he's good. He he sneaks into the movie and is just just like he he's one of those actors who just like sucks charisma out of everyone else and just like explodes with it. That's the first uh, like bone chill moment of that movie too when uh, he says uh, being, being, "Being black's the new like cool thing." He was <laughs> like, "Oh oh no, <laughs> something's not right. Something is rotten in the state of New York." <laughs> uh, but yeah, Get Out's just a. Uh, uh, incredible movie, super bold for a first time writer director. Even though he had clout before that, really good. I'm trying to think of the Gene Shalit review of Get Out. It's like you need to get in your car and get into a theater and <laughs> see Get Out. It was it was it's, it's one of the movies uh, that just like stuck a pin in a hypothetical top ten list uh, for me as soon as I saw it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we wasn't getting knocked out. Uh, even to the end of that movie, which I mean, I know I talked about a couple of times on the podcast, where I was sure cop was going to get out of the car and blow him away. That's yeah. the ending. I was like, I get it. That's the perfect ending for this movie. That when it doesn't happen, it makes you realize, like, oh shit, this shit is fucked up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you didn't already know, shit's bad. Yeah. This can't praise that movie enough. Uh, I hope it performs well. Uh, it's, had, it's had a good award season. I love it. I think it's super important. Yeah, as much as I think that there's a chance that it's going to be, we're going to talk about it as what movie gets in for nominations as the get out of that year, there's a chance that there's going to, that it's going to miss on a lot of stuff this year and be the get out of that year by missing what it yeah. should be in. I hope I don't see the headline, get out, left out. Yeah. 
In like uh, stop. Academy to Jordan Peele. Get out of our nomination. Well, I can see it as being the colon of like Oscar so white. Oscar nomination snubs and surprises. Get out, left out. Yeah. So I hope well, I hope we don't see that. I don't think we will. Well, it, it could be a Oscar so white colon get out and Octavia Spencer left out of nominations. My number two. Yeah. The Big Sick is my number two movie of the year. It's uh it's a movie that I am confident, very confident that in 10 years it's still going to rank among my favorite romantic comedies of all time. Hmm. The comedy in it is just so good. Uh, it's got so much heart to it. The The scenes between Hunter and Romano are so good. And uh, also, Holly Hunter and Kumail, those scenes are fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's what makes it, puts it so high on my list, is that I think of it as it checks all the boxes for perfect romantic comedy to me. Like it's what it is to now what the apartment was to the sixties, what when Harry met Sally is to the eighties. I think I'm more fond of those movies just because I've had them longer in my life. But I think this is, this is uh, this decade's probably best romantic comedy. Unconventional romance too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the reset too. It's like you, you've gone through the movie with Kamel, you know, everything he's put in and it's like when she wakes up, you're back at zero. Maybe even still negative, because the last thing she remembers, you're being an asshole. Yep. Yeah. Just like the realization of that is it's not like the while you were sleeping, Sandra Bullock version. Right. Yeah. And the the way the movie ends is just Yeah, it makes the ending just perfect, like yeah. to me. Yeah. Very graceful. I realized something I was tied to TJ at number two for get out. Yep. I realized something as not the person who's introing the number one movies, I believe we all have different movies. Oh, that's fun. Wait. Uh, we definitely do. I think I know everybody's number one. <laughs> Your number Does one is? You. The Florida Project. Florida Project. Yeah. Mm. Um, Sean Baker's sophomore effort uh, is the movie that made me feel the most things this year. <laughs> the most tears were were on my face. As much as I talked about in Colossal kind of owning your problems, this movie's incredibly heartbreaking because it's a kid with shitty parents living in a shitty situation who can't own her problems because she didn't know what her fucking problems are. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just great. This is surrounding cast. Sean Baker did crazy shit casting this movie. Went on Instagram and pretty much found the actress to play um, Mooney's mom and she's brilliant. She's getting cast in other shit. Willem Dafoe was a great subtle performance. Um, Kate Lady Jones also finds himself in this movie. And then the, the little girl is just fantastic. Brooklyn Prince mm-hmm. was her name. She has a great scene at the end where she's trying to say bye to her friend and she can't get the words to come out because she's crying so much. It's like, fuck, I see that in kids all the time. Yeah. And to get that out of a kid, just really impressive. The movie's beautiful and heartbreaking and does everything it's supposed to do, I think. It's my biggest blind spot of the year. It was the movie that disappeared. It disappeared from my little local cinema before I could see it. In like just like three weeks, it's it seemed. It's not that big. It's not doing well. I mean, Defoe's getting a nomination for a sporting actor, but that could be all it gets. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not came out early too for mm-hmm. award season mm-hmm. but uh, highly recommend it as soon as it pops up I bet it pops up on Netflix or Amazon sometime soon yeah I would I'll I, definitely catch it then yes yeah. um, my number one movie of the year is Justice League it is the uh, cul- no um, let's get out mine yeah. is get out and uh, yeah it's it's again it's so hard to do horror well and for me to be really impressed by horror movies and it is Good year for horror for you. Usually yeah. the best horror, like you watch it and it's like your Dunkirk experience. It vanishes after you watch it and you say, that was horror. But not yeah. this one. The, the, usually the best you could do for horror is be horror. <laughs> yeah, and, and and so it nails that. It nails, Did you make a bunch of money? Good it, job. It, it, it nails that aspect of it, but at the same time it also like 
leaves you with a lot to think about afterwards, which is, uh, you know, Jordan Peele, I don't, it's so impressive what he did, the risks he took with the movie too, because I mean, when you think about the villains in the movie, they are, they are not the normal villains in a movie about race. They are the the white liberals of the area who love mm-hmm. Barack Obama, who love black people, and they love them so much that's why they're the villains. <laughs> and it's, uh, in fact, you even have the juxtaposition at the beginning of the the cop who stops him. That's the old the racism that he's used to. You know, that's what the the main character Chris he that's knows a, how to good guy. <laughs> he knows how to deal with that. It's the most comforting it's, that level of racism. The, the evil, <laughs> the evil you know. Yeah. yeah. The, the evil he's used to, the systematic evil that he knows is, uh, and so for Jordan Peele to kind of go after that next level of just, you know, kind of saying to even people who he is politically like in agreement with just saying like, you don't, you just because you're on the right side of these other people don't mean you've solved all our problems. Yeah, just because you... You can't just say, I haven't voted for Obama a third time. Right. So I'm a champion for black people yeah. because I voted for Bullshit. Barack Obama. Yeah. Right? So it's <laughs> yeah. it's a really subversive movie in that way. And it's just incredibly impressive that he he took that risk and took that angle with it. And it worked so well. And I mean, it's, Again, I know I've said this six times already, but for first time filmmaker. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Can't wait to see what he does next. I just love the the satire, like you said, is so subversive in it. It takes that thing of white liberals, you, you say you support black people. It, everything goes to the next level until it gets grotesque. Yeah. And that's what I love about it. And it's still cohesive and so such a biting movie. Yeah. We all loved it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my number one for the year is not a big shocker for anyone. It's Blade Runner. Uh, Blade Runner 2049 is the way that you make a sequel. It's the way that you revitalize a project. It's the way that you do a reboot. They're going to be teaching this strategy in film school. Uh, it is just phenomenal in the way that it that it cherry picks um, all of the things that worked. And Brent, you said earlier that you think it might be better than the original, and I think that it squarely is. Because it takes everything that works from the original and extracts it, distills it into the sauce that makes 2049 so good. It's, it's Ryan Gosling acting, not acting, but it's the perfect role for him because he's human, not human. Like, right. It's Harrison Ford not acting because he's human, not human. Like, it's, it's that question. And then the people who, who do have to emote are the people who you know are squarely not human. Like, the best acting, not best acting, but the most emotive performances come from Robin Wright. Um, who's the like station chief? They come from Dave Bautista, who in the first five minutes you find out he's the replicant that Gosling is hunting. Mm-hmm. They come from uh, I think Ana de Armas is the oh holographic God. girlfriend. She's so good of Ryan Gosling. That's really good. Now. And she's just phenomenal. And like the the range that she shows playing a character who knows she's not real and isn't struggling with that fact, um, but still isn't executing the program called love. Um, it's just, it's, it's phenomenal. And that says nothing about how amazing the score is, how beautiful the shots are. Even the shots of like smog covered, um, outland, uh, outside of LA and outside of the, the Silicon Valley-esque farms that they hunt Bautista in is, they're just, they're just breathtaking. Um, and then contrasting that with the neon lights of the megalopolis that is LA is just, it's phenomenal. Um, I haven't seen a movie like this, having seen the original Blade Runner, 
And I would be hard-pressed if any other director is going to make one like it for a while. It brings cyberpunk to the fore in a way that is digestible to people who aren't aware of it or who can't stomach it. Um, and it's just really good. Uh, I, for this entire year of going to see movies in theaters, which, uh, thanks to MoviePass, I did probably more than any other year of my life, um, I don't know if there was a single moment, a single shot, that really just sucked me into like just full-on immersion into a movie than... Watching Gosling's character walk across, walk through the Las Vegas desert, mm-hmm. that 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 orange glow it had, yep. and it was just it was gorgeous. Yeah, covered in gigantic fallen statues of like sapphic depictions of excess that 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 what you would believe Las Vegas would become in this you know post apoc twenty forty nine. It's just like. It, you, what, you know what else I really it, I really was liked about the decisions in the movie is that when was the original Blade Runner set? Wasn't it 2017, 2018? When was 2015? It's somewhere around now. Mm-hmm. The yeah. original Blade Runner was set somewhere around mm-hmm. now. This doesn't even this doesn't take they they didn't take the the idea of oh well. Things didn't exactly turn out that way. No, it, this still keeps you right in that universe of, yes, the world is like this in 2016, 2017. Mm. And this is 30 years after that. Mm. And so it progresses from the original movie instead of being like a, a reimagining of sorts. Of, yeah. of Which some reboots might try to do. Yeah, and it's, and it's what the writing on the wall was. It was the, the narrative coming from the production house was that this isn't going to be the movie you expect. It's not going to be a sequel. It's not going to be a reboot. It's not going to be a reimagining, which left fans going, like, well, what is it going to be? But Denis Villeneuve and like the whole production uh, team said, you are not allowed to talk about this movie. Like, You are not allowed to talk plot about this movie at all in interviews, period. And so there was a mystery around it, which, you know, whatever, say what you will about, you know, creating your own fiction outside of the movie... Um, really helped uh, propel it up to the top spot of my list. I had no idea what it was going into it, and afterwards, I'm still intrigued at what it did. I want to see it again. Yeah, and it, when you said that they're going to be te- they're going to use this to teach people how to make great sequels, I was thinking, yeah, hire Denis Villeneuve. That's what you do, <laughs> right. or to reimagine something, which apparently they're doing for Dune. He's that's going to be his next thing, yep. which. If you had told me that somebody was going to remake Dune, I don't know, I'm not a huge fan of the original, but mm, it's no. kind of boring. But um, kind of shit. But, like, with it's, if if it's him, he can remake anything. Especially I'll watch with it. Roger Deakins. Yeah, yeah. Blade Runner 2049, one for me. Good choice. It's, it's, I'm um, not, I promise that I won't forever be a Denis Villeneuve number one, because last year I was a rival. Me too. But <laughs> yeah. he, just, he just nailed it. So Damn, how do I follow that up? That was so well put. It was really well put. I'm gonna uh, um, talking about our uh, Oscar things from last year. I was a sole person with a uh, small white people story at number one. <laughs> That's a trend again, I guess. <laughs> but my number one is uh, Lady Bird, oh. and I n- didn't really consider anything else. I was, um, I was afraid you were going to go Meyerowitz stories when you when you <laughs> prefaced it with that. Okay, 
It's a it's a coming of age movie, and I think it's probably one of the best coming of age movies I've ever seen. Talking about you know something I like is like a simple story, you know, executed perfectly. I think it was executed perfectly. All these scenes are basically the highlights of a senior year, and I think they are paced perfectly, and are the perfect examples to demonstrate the characters where they are and how they grow. Jumps in time, I think, are feel natural. And, like, it's the high points. You know, you have the the dance with all these, like, real specific details that aren't really called upon that just make it feel like a world. It's like, no one said that it was going to be Western-themed, but you got, like, the Catholic school. Everyone's, like, dressed like a cowboy or anything. It's just, like, that's what it was. It was the most emotional movie for me for the entire year. And uh, one that I watched with my wife in the cinema, we're both crying at it. It really made me both scared and excited to have a daughter come into the world. <laughs> a beautiful story. And some, the one that like rang so true to me living in that time period, maybe I'm, as much as you can be a homer for a type of story, you know, I may be, but it, it hit me right in the... Heart, and now I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) It hits you right in the building's Roman. Yep, and there's, uh, you know, my caveat is I didn't see a lot of stuff in the theater this year, and I'll I'll be catching up on a lot of the stuff you guys talked about very eloquently and very interestingly, but I think Lady Bitter will probably still be my number one. Talking about execution of some stuff, uh, this made me feel the most out of anything I've seen. Nice. Awesome. Well, there you have it, folks. Mm. Or folk. I don't know how many people are actually still listening at this point, but uh, they, they have a person. Yeah, um, as uh, in our top tens. Yeah, I think we had three in all four, three films that appeared in all four lists. Get Out, Dunkirk, and Lady. No, uh, Get Out, Big Sick, Big Sick, and Dunkirk. Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. Part of that is just because people haven't seen all the movies too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got some honorable mentions too. I mean, this has been a great movie, great year for movies, in I my opinion. So like for a year where like I Tanya. Battle of the Sexes, Disaster Artist, like a movie like Stronger, which is just hard Oscar bait, and it was it was one of the movies that I was surprised by, like that that didn't make a top ten for me or for anyone else. Um, it just it's just a great. Oh, I Tanya, did I Tanya sneak on someone's list? Yeah, you number, number ten. TJ, like it's just just a just a great year for movies. Yeah, when it's not a great year to be in Hollywood. I also advocate honorable mention I had was Logan Lucky. It's a heist movie you've seen before, but shifted to the South, and I think it's just also perfectly executed and one of the most fun times I've had in all year. And even though none of us gave love to the Marvel movies, I think if this were a top 20 list for me, I think that I've got both Thor and uh, oh, Spider-Man. Yeah, in, me in too. And, um, yeah. Even at number 20 could have been Guardians 2. Yeah, I really loved Guardians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was my least favorite Marvel movie of the year, but it was still it's a good. movie. Good it's good movie. one of my favorite Marvel villains. <laughs> That I've seen. Mm-hmm. Split sneaks on a top 20 list for me. Yeah, it comes I'm going top 15, honestly. Uh, my favorite documentary of the year gets on that easy, which is Too Funny to Fail. I, I actually, movie. Too Funny to Fail, I considered putting it in my top 10. Yeah. Uh, because it just was... It was really close. So interesting and hilarious. Yeah, Shape, with, Shape of Water, my one best picture. I mean, that's that's in my top 20. It really got left out. I forgot that you hadn't said Florida Project yet, and I thought for sure your number one was Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. I also had, uh, just right outside was, and I still have no idea what to think about this movie, but I was so intrigued by it, Jim and Andy. Yep. That it's, documentary. Yep. It's, as of right now, having seen like almost no documentaries this year, it's my favorite documentary. Mm-hmm. 
and I think that at the end of the year, it's still going to be my favorite documentary of the year. I'm I'm a little disappointed that David couldn't get a sequel rematch of a front row uh, seat to a rematch of Chris versus TJ on a ghost story. I was hoping a ghost I story would make TJ almost top saw it this year. I was just too busy. It was, it was close um, yeah. for me. Uh, Logan Lucky was like David said. Uh, Wind River had number ten. Oh yeah, Wind until recently. River. Wind River is incredible. Yeah, um, yeah. By the way, Brent, if anyone would have put Ghost Story in their top ten, I would have done what I did with everyone else's movie that I that I didn't like or wasn't fair with. I would have just shut my fucking mouth. <laughs> <laughs> everyone else's top ten is their top ten. Yeah, one that I think all of us saw that didn't, and it was Valerian. Yeah, <laughs> it probably would have been like. Maybe top twenty for me was raw. I thought that might appear on somebody's. Um, it's, getting, it's getting a lot of love. Yeah, surprisingly, one that I didn't see. I didn't see it either. Oh, well, shit, it was just me and you then. Just like as much just available. Yeah, as much streaming stuff as they watched this year, I didn't. It's four films, so you can't like. And I like I didn't see to the bone. To the bones was to be phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, great year for movies. Yep, and I. I just didn't... I think i got to see it again. I didn't appreciate it enough, but Mudbound was something I considered. Yeah. But I think maybe just I came into it with a little too much expectation. It was supposed to be, like, the Netflix movie to break the the thing. But for me, Okja was that. Yeah. yeah. I did. I tried to do a, a last week uh, full, court, uh, full court press on uh, trying to watch as many of these last mm-hmm. movies as I could before we did this podcast. And uh, I actually thought about trying to start Mudbound at about 11.30 last night. And I was like, I just can't. I'm done. I'm done. My, my top ten is done. <laughs> I just have to accept that. It's actually, yeah, not to relitigate Mudbound, but it, it is it is more engaging, like, minute by minute than I thought it was going to be going into. It, it, it drives better than I thought. Uh, I thought it was going to be a very slow tale about a nowhere farm, but it was it was Dirt m- turning into mud. Right. It was it was <laughs> it was much more than that. Uh, sorry. So now we're dirt, but we're mud bound. So anyone want to want to outro our three hour? Yeah, let's let's close this out. Uh, this was Talkie Talk, the podcast for the media by us. Please visit the site and see our stuff. Check with us on uh, Twitter, and we'll be tweeting when the award shows are are happening. Um, and our Facebook groups, we're keeping everybody informed of things that are going on, as long as as well as our Facebook page. Uh, check all that stuff out, and again, subscribe to the podcast so you get all these. And um, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what else are you going to do? Subscribe and leave us a review. We'd appreciate it. And want to say thanks to you guys for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, Brent. Sure. Thanks, DJ. Yar. And uh, especially if you've gotten to this point and you aren't just me checking the edit, <laughs> thanks for listening through this. This was a lot of fun and yeah. really made me think about how great a year for movies, but also TV and video games 2017 was. Yep. Also, real quick, podcast of the year, Talkie Talk. <laughs> for your consideration. Bye. Kicking rocks down old dusty roads. Small town, slow pokes, long time ago. Kicking out records of all the things that I know. All the things that I know.